writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. Welcome back to Right Pack Radio. This is your host, David Allen Lucas, writer of science fiction, mystery, horror, and poetry. And today we are going to talk about the schools of mystery, as well as the tropes and the cliches. With me today is... Your co-host, Kathleen Kayembe. I write um, GLBT fiction under Kaseka and Vita, and I think magic is awesome. Fedor Amos. I wrote Jack the Ripper in St. Louis. It is set in 1897 St. Louis and shows us that there were mean streets back then too and that's one of the basic things you have to have for mystery. I'm Jennifer Stolzer. I'm a fantasy author and illustrator, although I draw more than just fantasy. I draw just about anything. Yes, including some of my characters. Thank you. I love characters. And our logo. And our logo. Yeah, I'm Melanie Claney. I write... um, Science fiction, fantasy, and uh, nonfiction. Let's talk about a few episodes ago. We talked about the tropes of, of science fiction and fantasy. And really, before I get started, let me stop myself and say, Fedora, we have a special happy birthday today, don't we? Oh, we do. We do. And I'm very pleased to bring in some cupcakes for the team today Woo! because we're celebrating a birthday of a wonderful writer named Dashi Ohamet. This is his 120th birthday. Happy birthday to you, Dashi. Do you want to sing? Shall we sing? Oh, everybody, would, we would no longer no, have no, any no, listeners okay. after is, I is sing. We'd also have to pay royalties. <laughs> yeah. okay. Is Dashi okay. going to blow out the candles? After 120 is, years, I don't think possible? so. <laughs> Many happy returns but, um, on your 120th birthday. For our listeners, this is being recorded on May... What day is it? 25th. 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 <laughs> I apologize to our listeners. I've been going crazy the last several days with my bill pay job. Um, and for those who don't know who he is, first off, shame on you. And second off, obviously you have never read hard-boiled detectives or hard-boiled mystery. One which was made into a book, made, in, made one of his books into a movie is The Maltese Falcon. Also, too, if I remember right, didn't he do The Whistler? No. No? Oh, Thin Man. Thin Man. The Thin Man series. Yeah. The Thin Man itself is the only novel that he wrote, but then he was in Hollywood and actually did the screenplays for the other five Thin Man movies. And so that was his main claim to financial success. (laughs) So a novelist and a screenwriter. Absolutely. I didn't realize that. As well as a story writer. He only wrote actually five novels that were published, but some 80 stories and did many, many screenplays, including all of those for The Thin Man, with help. (laughs) And I want to check something real fast here. Thank God for computers. If I remember right, he also had (laughs) one of the best uh, backgrounds for writing mysteries. Yes, he was a Pinkerton. He was a farmer. Thank you. That's what's what's double-checking my facts. He was a Pinkerton. What is a Pinkerton? Ah, thank you for asking. (laughs) You're welcome. The Pinkerton Agency, which was started in the 1800s, 
was America's first private eye um, firm. In fact, they provided security for Abraham Lincoln and eventually formed the um, Secret Service. Question. Answer. Abraham Lincoln's security team was these Pinkerton people? Uh Uh-huh. I feel like that's not something they should be advertising <laughs> as something that they did well. Well, they that was actually I mean, a, like, they a did during strike. they did during the war. Oh, okay. And then um, also too, they had they were our intelligence agency gatherer. In other words, they sent um, their people across the lines to investigate what's going on with the Confederates to be spies, basically. So they were the forerunners of the CIA, too. They were the forerunners of the CIA, and before you do, they also investigated all the train robberies and all that stuff of the old time, old Wild West. The sleeping eye, as related to the private eye, is where the Pinkertons come from. So, does the Pink... Or never sleeping eye, I'm sorry. The Pink Panther? Does that have anything to do with it? No. Why is the Pink Panther? But another great detective from (laughs) from fictional writing. That's from fictional. Yes. With a humorous twist to be sure. Indeed. (laughs) Okay. And with that, now we go into the mystery field. And Dashiell wasn't the only private eye to turn mystery writer. There have been several other sectors, ones that are currently writing right now. But... What was what do you guys consider to be some of the cliches, tropes, uh, tropes of mystery writers, of mysteries and mystery thrillers? Stories. Some, uh, yeah. A crime has happened. There has been a crime. Usually, well, that's a definition. Yeah, but uh, usually, but not it. always a murder. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be murder. But it's almost always a murder. It's often a murder. A yeah. body does help. Yes. yes. If it's a theft, it's something really particular. And not only that, but there usually is a death involved later in the book. That's another trope yeah. to cover it up. Death is a great dramatic uh, vehicle. To borrow, I think, from P.D. James, Phyllis Dorothy James, who is the current queen of crime over in Britain, inherited from Agatha Christie. Who I love. As she said, and I'm not, I don't have the exact quote, so I'm not going to. I'm going to paraphrase it. People care. People may care about stealing Aunt Gertrude's pearl necklace, but they're going to care more about Aunt Gertrude coming up dead. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. Speaking of Co- uh, Agatha Christie, I don't know if she invented or was just the inspiration for the cozy, which yeah. is one of the tropes of mystery writing. Can we go cozy into mysteries. those? Subjects? Yes. So um, the cozy which is one of the ones I know. If I get it wrong, please, someone correct me. You will, we will. Um, <laughs> a cozy is, there's a murder. There's a limited group of suspects that you are introduced to fairly quickly. It's in a contained environment, usually. I don't know if that's part of the trope or just something that's often done. And um, it's usually not, let's just say it's not too gritty. And there's always a nice, clean resolution in the bad guy. The the bad guy is always caught. I, again, I don't know if it's part of the convention. It just often happens that an innocent person is often suspected first. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think there are two schools for the traditional mystery, really. And one is the Agatha Christie school. And what she does, interestingly, way more than I could, I do believe, is to give us clear suspects, a lot of clear suspects. Mm -hmm. And the one that turns out to be the killer, more often than not, is the one that you ought to suspect from the very beginning. But she has twisted it so 
that you can't tell it. So and that is delightful, don't you think? Uh-huh. Yeah, but and if you I go back it. and read it again, you will see the clues right. that you may have missed completely the first well, time. In writing mysteries, we actually have to follow a set of rules to the game, if you will, especially the whodunits, which I'm not that good at writing whodunits. I do the howdunits more, or how catchems. But in the whodunits, you have to have all your all your clues up front. You can't hide them from the people, from your reader. You've got to treat your reader intelligently. Mm-hmm. Don't have somebody suddenly come in at the last minute and be either the one who did it or have someone be the sudden Superman solver of the, of the case. Uh, that, But wait a minute. It can look like they're a Superman. They can be Sherlock Holmes, but when you have to go back the reader has to realize they missed the clues that the exactly. Superman picked up on. That's what I'm saying. They're they're backed up. Yeah. They're in the story. You just you can't just suddenly. If I'm writing a 20 chapter novel, and chapter 20 is where I'm going to have all of my clues and my bad guys caught, and my bad guy shows up in chapter 20, mm-hmm. and here comes the guy who's able to solve it. That's a really bad mystery. It's got to be interwoven throughout the story. Um, I. I can give an example of that, but Jennifer's going to have to tell me the title because I don't remember. Um, what was the movie that had all the... It was a parody of like everything. It was ever. Murder by Death, which is a fantastic movie I recommend to both mystery fans and not mystery fans. If you're a fan of classic mystery novels, you'll love it to a second degree because every <laughs> character in that movie is a, is a likeness of a different famous a fictional... Yes. You know, okay. there's a Hercule Poirot, there's a Sherlock Holmes-ish sort of thing, there's an Agatha Christie style. That's Miss Murders, Marple. 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 There are murders, it's a closed And place. Uh, it's there to kind of capitalize on the tropes and the different things that happen, and the ending is specifically to kind of make fun of, the, of what you just mentioned, mm-hmm. you know... You're not supposed to introduce all these clues in the last three seconds of the mystery. <laughs> it was awesome. It was lots of fun. You know what, let's, let's, before we get, as we're digging into tropes and we're talking about different schools, let's go ahead and cover the different subgenres of mystery. Okay, so we have cozy. We have a cozies. We have a whodunits, which usually... A cozy can, is usually a, a subcategory cozy. of, yeah. of whodunits. But it can cross over. You've got the hard-boiled. The hard-boiled detective. You have, which is your Wait, grittier story. Would that be a but noir style? That's kind of noir question. is another way of saying hard-boiled. Mm. And that can be a whodunit also. Yeah. Question. Okay. For noir style, the way I typically think of noir endings is I'm going to be crying in a corner for three years from now because that justice was not served and it was rubbed in my face. Well, not necessarily. Justice not necessarily was served. It's the way justice was served. It's um, justice may have been served in the end, but it really doesn't feel like you feel cheated. Something's wrong. The the world doesn't return to normal. Chinatown. (laughs) The world doesn't necessarily return to normal. No, I think that you'll find justice in most noir novels. If that's what you're talking about, I think you're talking about perhaps something that is a little different from that. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the great noir movies like DOA, Dead on Arrival. He's dead, but then so is everybody else, you know. And Spencer, and the old and Spencer the, for higher books, as well as TV shows, if I can remember the TV shows. It's been a long time since I've seen any of those, and I can't find them. Um, which, by the way, if anybody who ever listens is from the um, company who owns the rights to Spencer for higher TV shows, 
please release them on DVD. Get with the program. <laughs> um, or even streaming. You know, even streaming. Yeah. But anyway, usually the bad guy ends up dead, shot, some shot and killed in a noir. And noir actually is really a film title versus a novel title, but it originally. It's true. No, I do think of a medieval. visual style when right. you mention noir. Yeah. Uh, that's why I guess hard-boiled is a better term for mystery yeah. books. Yeah, and mystery, again, when you're reading hard-boiled, it's not that they have an unhappy ending. It's that they could have an unhappy ending. Cozies always have a happy ending. Well, they get justice. I associate yeah. yeah. noir with uh, get caught. the, we'll the emotional turmoil bit. Hard-boiled um, is more the hard-talking detective who is out in this gritty world and... Yeah. Uh, it's the jaded. It's really yes. the jaded, jagged character, broken hero type story. And Hardboiled really is an American creation. Well, type of mystery. Let's go back to uh, Dashiell Hammett for a moment. Okay, it was actually, the granddaddy gonna, of all of I, them. I'm going to hold you. Then I'm just going to quickly run through the remainder, and then I want to come back to that. Okay. Yeah, we want to give you the floor. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to give you the floor on this. But real quick, you have the social political mysteries that's written by P.D. James, for example, that deals more with society. You have the courtroom dramas. There's good um, Earl Stanley Garner, uh, Scott Turow, um, Perry Mason. Well, that, that, was, that was that's Earl Stanley Garner, okay. um, and I'm David Balducci, I believe, does those as well. You've got the thriller, um, which may or may not be an actual mystery. You have the how done it, or the who done it. I'm sorry, the how catchems. The How Ketchums, perfect example, old trope, Columbo. He walks on the scene, he knows who did it, it's how's he going to catch this guy. Columbo's a class act. Columbo's a class act. You also have, and I got to meet him before he passed away, um, the the guy who invented these, which is the police procedural. That was created by, the real name was Evan Hunter, his pen name was Ed McBain. Um... And that dealt more with the procedure of crime, or the procedure of the police investigation, more than it dealt with any of the other things we've talked about. Very popular on television nowadays. Question, exactly. What was his name, so I can write that down and then be Ed, very happy? Ed McBain, M-C-B-A-I-N, is his pen name. He also wrote underneath his real name, too, as Evan Hunter. What are some of the examples of what he wrote? Um, the... <laughs> I never remember the name of the no. number of the precinct. Um, let's see here. Hail to Achieve. Um, what was it? Uh, something Precinct Mysteries. 80s? 89th? 82nd? 80th? I'd have to look this up. You would catch me with that. Um, but really, he was the beginning, if you will, to programs that we see now like Law and Order. Or the law, the law, the order side, the law side of it, where law enforcement a lot of people are out there. All of the police procedurals that came out started basically with him. Now let's go back to hard-boileds. Okay. Well, Dashiell was the, the granddaddy of a hard-boiled, and probably none is a better example than Sam Spade. Mm-hmm. And that created its own set of cliches because Sam Spade not only is a rugged, hard-drinking man, he also has his own set of conscience-driven standards that he lives by. And they may not be the same standards that anybody else has, but 
when Miles Archer, his partner, is killed. He knows Miles is not such a nice guy. He's a chaser and not real smart when you get right down to it. But he's your partner. And you, when your partner dies, you have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. He's got a code. He has a code. And we find, I think, that same thing in virtually all hard-boiled. Yeah. It's not the same code, but it is a code. And it may be hard for us to follow and understand, but it's there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh. Uh, a couple other characters that you'd recognize. Philip Marlowe was also hard-boiled. Originally, Perry Mason, though it is a whodunit and more of a courtroom drama, is actually, he started off as hard-boiled in the books. I don't remember if it was the case on the audio dramas or not before we ever saw a video. Um, and there's another... I, mean, I can't think of this guy's name. It was a start off at books, became a TV show in the 50s, and it was really gritty, especially for the 50s. Came, got canceled eventually and came back in the 80s. And now, Looks oh, like, I can't believe I can't like, remember. Sounds like. <laughs> I'm going to have to look it up, um, which I'm glad on my computer today. Go ahead. Don't well, I was just wondering what the um, if there's another trope or whatever for the... How do I say this? Villain-centric mysteries. Where the cr- yep, those are crime crime novels. Okay. Which I didn't, thank you for saying those, because I forgot to include, where the novel is not so much about catching the, it, actually I did say them in a way, it's a how done it. It is, how are they going to commit the crime? It's the criminal is the actual, quote-unquote, protagonist or hero of the story. Um, actually, in a way, Pink Panther was brought up earlier, that is in... A way falls into it. Um, a lot of the other novels that fall into it, um, Elmore Leonard's Get Shorty um, would fall into this. The Oceans movies. Pulp Fiction, go so ahead. So is yeah. that still considered a mystery novel if it's more of an adventure, adventure with a criminal? It's an adventure with a criminal but still falls into the mystery genres. So uh, someone who wrote a criminal novel, a crime novel would still be welcome at like a mystery convention or something like that. You would find well, more information on those kind of books in mystery circles. Actually, I remember an Agatha Christie story that I can't think of the name of. It's a short story, but it is a whodunit, but it turns out your point of view character is the murderer, but because of the way you wrote, she wrote it, you don't realize that. Maybe it's good that you don't remember the title. So yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the danger when talking about all these mystery stories is that we're spoiling all the mysteries. Yeah. There is a, it was, and I don't remember his name. Um, this one gentleman, he, I, as far as I know, he never wrote novels. He did short stories only in the Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine until the day he died. He had an ongoing series where it was about a burglar, yeah, burglar who would steal stuff. He always would steal, kind of like a Robin Hood type mm-hmm. character. So, and it was clearly it was a mystery. The sympathetic thief is one of the cliches of mysteries. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about the cliches. And oh, good! I finally found Evan Hunter's information. If I can find what he find the story. Anyway, what are some of the cliches of mystery in the? Cozies. I'm going to pick on Angela Lansbury uh-huh. and Murder Agatha Christie wrote. for a moment. Murder <laughs> she wrote, or Miss um, Marple, where is an elderly lady, somebody who may have not had any training whatsoever in the cr- in criminal investigation. The amateur detective. The amateur detective, who is in from some small town, 
which the murder count is bigger than the population by the time you get done with the series. I, I do enjoy um, in Miss Marple, people from out of town and like the younger folk, all of us young people who come and see her are thinking, oh, she's just an old lady. What does she know about the world? Things are dark. There's a murder. Hide it from her. And she can get into the minds of criminals. Like <laughs> She is so much more knowledgeable than all of them, despite not having really left town very much. This, the, the secret... Yeah, the, yeah. The, She's like, I know people. Yeah. yeah. The specialized knowledge. Which, in a way, is kind of a subset of what Sherlock Holmes yeah. is. He has Sherlockian. a... It's a very different type of subspecialty of knowledge than Sherlock. <laughs> I think but one yeah. key uh, trope, if you'd care to call it that, is the sidekick. Oh, yeah. That you often need a sidekick, a to, Dr. Watson, a Dr. Watson to explain things to everybody else who isn't as smart. Oh, and the sidekick <laughs> is often the narrator, not always, but often. often. Well, and often. he's the fish out of water protagonist who's watching the master at work. Yes, yeah. so it's good to and have. And the master has to explain it to him, and thereby explain it to us. Exactly. It also helps maintain the mystery for readers because if you know exactly how it's done, it's not always as cool. Like sometimes you just want to see it as magic and then see behind the curtain. Yeah, so per- I'm going to bungle his name. So per- Hercu- Hercule Poirot, thank you, can solve the mystery. And what's his name? Higgins or whatever can yeah. be confused about it. And yes. then he has to be explained to him. A modern day, um, not some of the cozies, but a modern day trope Hastings. that's occurring. Hastings. Hastings. <laughs> yeah. A modern day trope that's occurring now, thanks to CSI. And I need to step back a little bit before I start this. In criminal investigation, there's really three eyes to every criminal investigation in real life. The interrogation, the in, the instrumentation, and the information. CSI and that focuses on the instrumentation aspect of criminal investigation as if that is the only way to, find, to solve the crime. And in truth, a lot of times, the detective takes a lot of sweat, tears, hard hard work on their feet to really solve a real crime in real life. Um, and with that trope comes along into the other genres, the instantaneous ballistics toxicology forensic report. By the time they've just left the crime scene, blood samples have been taken, and by the time they arrive, even if it's the next day at the, at the police station, they have all these reports. That happens more in TV and movies, but that's also a problem in books. Yes, I do like Almost Human, though, because they had androids who would do all that themselves at the scene. So <laughs> yes. I'm like, okay, I can see that. Another, yeah, the, in another video game, well, I said another. We haven't spoken on video games yet. Video game that came out recently uh, for the PS4, Heavy Rain, last couple years. Uh, it's a police procedural oh, cool. game pretty cool. The way they solved that was they gave our detective character magic eyeglasses and a power glove that let him just find evidence and tell you what it is. And see, a lot of times that's what... it was more realistic because (laughs) that was the thing. It was real. It was more realistic because it also gave him a drug addiction. So he got a chance to be hard-boiled in that way. Thank you. There's there's another trope. (laughs) The addicted detective. The, too much. The, the detective who has seen too much and has alcoholism or other addiction, or even the subcategory of that is the former alcoholic detective who now runs into something so hard that he ends up becoming an alcoholic again. Does Holmes count as a sub, like as a 
as a kind of this because he's, he's a, he's a very, It starts with a. Well, he's he's, he's a start. He does not do nice things to his body. The the beginning of mystery actually occurs with Edgar Allan Poe, and then I call him the grandfather of mystery. The father of mystery is Arthur Conan Doyle, and oh no, I don't think so. You don't think so? No. I think it goes back much earlier than that, okay. and we'll tell you all about it if you want. Okay. To. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about history in a minute. <laughs> but where I was going is that the with Sherlock Holmes, he has got a heroin, yeah, heroin addiction. Yeah, heroin addiction. I, did, I ran that double check that in my head real fast. Heroin cocaine. addiction. And tobacco, but and no, tobacco. that wasn't considered. No, it's too cocaine. Bad. And it, cocaine. No, it's yeah, cocaine, yeah, not heroin. Yeah, right, you're right. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, that's, that's much wrong. Wrong. But, Yeah, so yeah, cocaine, cocaine definitely. Thank you. I knew I was making an error. Well, now that we've pinned down what drug he was using, yeah. <laughs> we all 100% agreed with the wrong one like we knew what we were talking about. But, well, right. the, thing with, but, the thing with cocaine is he was taking it as a stimulant and heroin wouldn't work too well for that. But if yes. you read through the entire series of the short stories and novella that was written by Conan Doyle, the Holmes gets, I'm sorry, Watson eventually gets Holmes off the drug and off the addiction. And it's a good, it's a hard fight. And it, I think as a doctor, he was putting that forward. Yeah. There's an example of where the where I think the trope starts. Mm-hmm. Not that far yet. Sorry, I was silently shaking my fist at oh. David, but now you know. Oh, the, right, so his, yeah, give us earlier. Give us earlier. the, the yes. earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I could go back, you know, a very long way and say, let's start just at where people began to read a lot and there was a demand for newspapers and books which is where these stories were in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Before that time when there were, uh, the sort of middle class arose, it was all oral and about heroes and nationalism mostly. But when you talk about things that were written down, we're talking about the 1800s and the earlier ones which often had mysteries in them like George Eliot, Silas Marner, but were very moral. And so it had a mystery, but mostly it was a moralistic kind of story. The actual mystery story, I think, starts with Poe, when it's there for the mystery Mm -hmm. itself and no other reason. And so you have his tales of ratiocination, you have murders in the Rue Morgue, the purloined letter, the gold bug, which are all detective stories, basically. So that's where they begin. When was Jack the Ripper? 1888. Yeah, like, does that timing, like, with them and the the forming of Scotland Yard and everything, have anything to do with Hmm. when mysteries just exploded? Like true crime turning into mystery writing. I don't, I don't know if it dealt with it or not. But what's interesting is that Conan Doyle was writing, started writing Holmes before Jack the Ripper came out. He was writing it. Contemporary to Jack the Ripper, in in a way, is sort of like a fictional character because he was a sensationalized character. Mm-hmm. They gave him a name, and he was right. a character people read about in newspapers or whatever. Jack the Ripper was probably the first true crime. It wasn't a novel, but it was like the first true crime novel type thing. We have a Jack I, the Ripper expert sitting yeah. at the table with us. I think though there was um, uh, a program on Sherlock Holmes and on um, Scotland Yard actually that said that. Up until Jack the Ripper, people, like, police officers weren't supposed to investigate crimes. They were supposed to, like, deal with the aftermath. A lot and of times that was the case. You're right. Um, like, was their official They really purpose. didn't, in general, see themselves as solving crimes at all. Yeah. They were to keep the peace. That was their mm-hmm. job. Was and they were to keep the that. peace. After that, it became well, oh, and the, but, much more so. But the, crime prevention. The, Bow, the Bow Street Runners were, kind, they were the forerunners of... 
a professional police force. They came before that. They were sort of a semi. Who are these well, people who I've not heard of? Well, while we're at it, let's, let's oh, talk about the 1800s since well, we're stuck there on the tropes. Okay, but uh, Bow Street Runners were kind of like, they weren't quite police officers, but they were a little bit more than private detectives. They could, um, they preceded the official police force in London. I don't know if they go beyond that. But the point is, if they could get evidence of a crime, then they could get a judge to come and, you know, issue a warrant and come drag you off to jail and get you hanged. But they didn't actually have quite as much authority to investigate. So, for instance, a rich person that committed a murder, for instance, could probably keep them from investigating. Can we talk about that, too? It's <laughs> part of, like... One but, of the tropes in mysteries, but the thing is, like the hampering of the yeah, yeah. But the other thing is, the Bow Street Runners—they did those types of crimes, but they were working for pay too. So, for instance, if again a rich person, they were robbed, they could hire the Bow Street Runners to go find their jewelry or whatever it was robbed, and then the Bow Street Runner would get a reward for finding it. So these were, like I said, a sort of a combination of private detective, police force. They were the proto-police. I think you're quite right that the Reaper case and also a growth of mysteries earlier than that did a lot to create interest in crime and solving crime because it scared people to death. Mm -hmm. And so there were many places across the world which were trying to do something about it. In France, for example... A man developed the Bertillon system. He was a uh, he was just a clerk, but he decided that you could prevent crime if you could find out enough about the criminal type because they believed in a criminal type. And so he pro- did uh, fourteen different measurements, including the measurements of the middle finger and the measurements of the nose, <laughs> to try to figure out what a real criminal looked like because they thought you could tell. By what they look like. Because normal and people head. never do anything well, wrong. St. Louis, St. Louis, in person, 1897, adopted the Bertillon system. Really? Right here. Right. So profiling as early as that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Long yeah. Nose <laughs> Absolutely. As I try and bring this up, um, in the 1800s, you had a lot of things occurring. The French were the first to come up with a police force. Police forces, as we think of them today, did not exist until then. So that's kind of scary how many centuries of human history. No question, were there sheriffs before then? Sheriffs, yes. But that, that was not police. That w- they were collecting taxes more than anything exactly. else. Exactly. They were more tax collectors. They were more working for a court and so forth. Before, and, what about and the marshals? When did, like in the U.S., when were there, when they? 1800s as well, I believe. Okay. I had to look at the time. In France in 1833, you see the birth of the private detective. Um, a lot of your techni- early techniques of criminal investigation came out of the birth of the police and the birth of the private detectives, even before Pinkerton ever came around. Um, and a lot of that's where we get our modern day stuff. Mm. The mysteries coming out of that, you, in the 1800s, you've got to switch in from the agricultural age, if you will, to the industrial age. Occurring, you've got the, the, c- the rise of the change. city. The rise of the city. You've got the rise of crime. Well, I was just going to say that if you want to put an actual place of beginning of full-length mysteries, or what we would think of as full-length mysteries, mm-hmm. I think you have to place that with Wilkie Collins, a Brit, and his two most important books, *The Moonstone*. 
and the woman in white are still considered among the top 100 mysteries of all time. I uh, love the history lesson because I um, don't know history of mysteries. The history of history? Exactly. And I'm learning things. But um, I would like to steer us back toward tropes, cliches. Is there like a mystery everybody's familiar with or at least you, Fedora, are familiar with that like you could deconstruct for us? Mm-hmm. David and Melanie. Well, and Jen. Let's, let's talk like about the trope characters. That make that might make it easier. Okay. Yeah, I just want to go through something yeah. and be like this and this. How about the femme fatale? Now, there's also uh, the male seducer too, but that's very that's much more rare of a character. No, I, I think what Kathleen is saying. Let's choose a story and yeah. then go through all the tropes of it. Yeah. Um, the specific. Let's see something something that's either very classic or that's something that's going. recent. Um, so, um, like the Maltese Falcon, or let's throw up a Maltese Falcon Maltese and, Falcon. and in honor of the birthday. Yeah, in honor yes. of Dashiell. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> All right, so okay, a short rundown of the plot. So, so break. Well, we down. have the film fatale in that Bridget mm-hmm. O'Shaughnessy. Okay, is. but let's let's start with the plot. What what's yeah. the crime? What's the crime? Mm-hmm. The crime is the murder of Sam Spade's partner, Miles Archer. Yes. And so you start with that very soon. Yes. But we Sam have Spade already met uh, the instigator of the crime, the, the Bridget O'Shaughnessy, who also goes by several other names, mm. who comes into the office and says that she wants her sister found. Her sister has disappeared, she says, and uh, she's trying to locate her there in the city of San Francisco. So that's the hiring scene that I always see in things. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. That's where that's, there's got to be some some they instigating in office, thing. Legs up to yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, if yeah. it's, if it's exactly. a police officer as opposed to that, sometimes the instigating scene is walking into the crime scene versus being hired. Right. Mm-hmm. But for the private detective, that's one of the cl- the tropes, cliches, the detective being hired. So with the police detective, the then it's, I get to the crime scene and, and I have someone give me a rundown of what happened. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's usually the case. Yes. Off case. Yes. Uh, yes, pun was intended. All right, so then you have the private investigator. He has his own office and everything? Yes. His own place. Well, he has yeah, the office with Miles. All right. Yes. Yeah. It's now his own office. Which, <laughs> one tier. <laughs> and okay. you've got the jaded aspect to the character, which he's very jaded. Um, for example, he is having an affair with Miles' wife. Who he doesn't even like him, Miles yeah, doesn't who, either. Yeah. <laughs> But there you are. Oh my goodness. All right. So continue. <laughs> so there are various sidelights to all of this that complicate things. And that is, I think, a trope in its own. Is there are going to be other life complications for whoever is solving the mystery. They will have families that they have to deal with, or lovers, or diseases, or... Is or it a trope for those things to come in at a vital moment in the crime in order to... Bog down and that's make often, choose. That's often the secondary plot comes into yeah. that. Uh-huh. And this is, um, I'm guessing, specific to more uh, hard-boiled novels than like Sherlock Holmes short stories. Not necessarily, because one would throw into that tend to have is another aspect to it. In the hard-boiled, as well as the Sherlock Holmes and so forth, is the cops tend to be somewhat incompetent. That's a trope as well. Yeah, that's yes. a trope. Yeah. And they end up following the private eye to solve the crime. But no, denying him. But denying he had anything yes. to do with it, solving yes. it. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> so it gets more and more complicated, mm-hmm. of course. Oh, and by the way, in the cozies, for instance, 
this type of thing happens too, but what the complications are usually relate to, oh, could that be the motive for them being the guilty party? Okay. So if, uh, so with the incompetent cops mm -hmm. is kind of a corruption of the general law enforcement or whatever. It's the reason or the, the corruption necessary. of authority. Is that, would you consider that a trope and mystery? Yes. 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 Yeah, whether it's a lawman or a pl politician, politician or something like that. Also, it serves as really good conflict because the police keep hassling, say, Sam Spade. They keep coming to his house in the middle of the right. night mm -hmm. and talking to him. Yeah, but they have the to morning. be there a good time. Of course too. I'm awake to talk to you. So yeah. they're, they're <laughs> hampering justice. Yes. Yes. Not always. Which sometimes they're, sometimes they're just... There's the other the cops thing. Are hampering justice. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes they're just not all that good at their job, but they're actually they know that the private detectives their best shot at advancing their themselves and their own career, and they yes, might even true. like the private detectives, so they might be passing them information. And that's a trope that John Lutz uses in a lot of his newer um, series of books, where the character is going out and catching um, serial killers is really the person coming to him is advancing their career. Mm -hmm. Back to Maltese Falcon. Okay, yeah. well, we have a, a MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. ah, MacGuffin. You've heard of Hitchcock's MacGuffins. Yes. yes. Which we is need a definition the thing of that you're after. Yes. The yes. key to it it's all, the, which, of course, is the, the Maltese. I heard it described... I heard it described as the thing with the most thingness. Yes, <laughs> that's good. The thing yeah, with the most thingness. The, the MacGuffin is something in which the characters all care about, and really the reader, to ca reader or viewer, if you're watching the movie, who could care less. The value isn't in the object itself, right. it's in the fact that everyone wants it. Exactly. It's the thing with the most thingness that's going to be important <laughs> at the end. It drives the plot. Yes. yes. And that, of course, in the Maltese Falcon is the Maltese Falcon. It could mm -hmm. be the motive for all the murders. Yes. It, it often is. the MacGuffin isn't always the motive for all the murders. Sometimes there are multiple motives. Sometimes it's the red herring. Yes. <laughs> That's red really herrings bad. is another trope. Yes, it is. That comes from Ten Lavinians, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think it's older than that, but that's in there. Yeah. That's where I learned about it as another, a child. Yes, that's me too. Another trope sticking with Maltese Falcon. We talked about the femme fatale being in there. Yes. The femme fatale is actually often becomes a love interest. And also is related to, if not actually the criminal, in the in, that's involved in the case. Stab to the heart. Stab the worst part possible time. Yeah, which is another reason why love doesn't exactly really work out too well in the hard-boiled detectives. Yeah. Now, hard-boiled is where you find thin fatales. Cozies almost never have thin fatales. Occasionally they do, but seldom. Okay. It wouldn't be fatale so much in a cozy, would it? Exactly. Sometimes the sometimes the romantic person ends up being the killer. So technically, you could kind of stretch the definition to include her, oh, or him, or well, yeah, the Vin <laughs> Vital and implies female. Yeah. Going back to the earlier trope, that this is a perfect example in the Maltese Falcon, Sam Spade, that Fedora was talking about is that the detective works with his own code of honor, but he won't break. You see this in Spencer for Hire, you see it in Walter Mosley's Easy Rollins stories and so forth. There's always a code there. But occasionally there's two parts of the code that comes into conflict, That's so he has to true. choose before, between them. That's true. But also, too, unlike the where the politician's able to corrupt the, po the police system, it's not so hard to, it's not so easy to corrupt the hardball detective. It's, uh, they try to. And that's where, quote-unquote, justice meets the road, if you will. And sometimes that justice is very um, six-gunned, shall we say. <laughs> well, 
Well, you'll notice that their coat is very unique. It is quite personal. In the uh, Maltese Falcon, for example, he does not have any qualms about lying to the police, obstructing justice. Mm -hmm. He does all kinds of those things. Mm -hmm. So he works outside of the law on many levels, but when it gets down to his code, that he will not break, no matter what the cost. So he's a bit of a vigilante. Oh, yes, I definitely Yeah, that. I, I just finished reading a book, and it's not exactly a mystery, but point is she was complaining about her uncle bugging her apartment or some or somebody bugging her. It's like, hey, that's a, uh, her, her uncle is a police officer. It's like, hey, that's illegal. And her uncle says, everything you do every day is illegal, which isn't quite true, but the point is they both are technically good characters, mm-hmm. but they're both Breaking, at the very least, technically breaking the law. <laughs> you you know? gotta do what you gotta do to get the man. This well, yeah. Totally jogged my memory. I was trying to think of her name. I had a gigantic Mary Higgins Clark face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I blanked on her name, but yeah, one of the things that... Uh, I'm just trying to remember tropes from there. There was always, you know, the villain, whoever had done the actual crime. Mm-hmm. You, you met them. Yes, you have early. to meet them in the yes. first half of the book. That's yeah. a... You You break that rule at your peril in a mystery. You meet them early. You either are suspicious or you're not. But if you are, there are going to be red herrings everywhere because you're not supposed to still think it's them by the time it's found out. Right. Um, There was a harrowing scene at the end somewhere where, you know, the heroine almost got killed and stuff happened to not just reveal to her who it was, but, like, everyone else. This is sort of a Mark Hammer kind of thing that you're talking Mike about. Mark Hammer. That's the way that's what I was trying to think of earlier. There have to be lots and lots of fights. And, of course, in real life, people would get killed in those fights mm-hmm. or be put in the hospital for months. And our hero, of course, or heroine, gets out, you know, in half an hour. Even from being buried alive. Exactly. <laughs> Always something <laughs> fun. Never just to shoot Well, out. that is a trope, too. See, th- this is where paranormal mystery has the advantage, because you can just explain how they recover so quickly, because they have supernatural powers. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. And, oh, my goodness, paranormal. <laughs> <laughs> but paranormal mystery is actually quite popular now. It I guess certainly it's, is. Yes. Because I guess Paranormal is quite popular now. Patricia so. Brooks' right. Mercy Thompson series, the yeah. Anita Blake series by Laurel K. Hamilton. Well, one thing about mystery is, like with romance, it appears in all, all the different genres. Yeah. Yes, so. at least a taste of it does, certainly. Oh, yeah, mysteries often have a romance, but I would say they have romantic elements, especially if it's a hard-boiled. It seldom has a happy ending. Occasionally they do, but it's more often than not... They're, you know, don't end up happily ever after. They might not end up dead or separated, or, you know, she might not be the femme fatale, but, you know. But the romance isn't the point of the story. So right. Which is right. the mystery, the crime, the solving. Mm-hmm. Now, it could be his girlfriend has been accused of the murder, or boyfriend has been locked up for the murder, and you have to free them. Oh, can we get into that? Like, the, the not, like, the people who aren't actually police officers or private detectives, the ones who are just thrust into the Yeah, the amateur detectives. Amateur sleuths. Or wrong man. There's another version of that called the wrong man. What is that one? Which is, and Hitchcock was especially known for doing this in all his films, is the person who is still an amateur detective, but the wrong man is somebody who is thought to be someone else and ends up being brought brought into the crime. Uh, North by Northwest, for example, the main character is mistaken identity for someone else in it that they were trying to, what was it, a spy of some kind? I don't remember exactly, even though I know the story. 
But anyway, he's mistaken. He ends up being kidnapped by the bad guys and ends up being dragged into the middle of this big mystery and adventure. Speaking of which, that's kind of the Jack Reacher. A whole lot of his novels kind of start out with the wrong man trope, even though he clearly isn't the wrong man. I mean, he has a detective background, but... You know, he gets kidnapped because he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, or they mistake his identity for someone else, or, you know. The funny thing is, you say wrong place at the wrong time, but it turns out to be wrong for the criminals. And the exactly! <laughs> no. Yeah. To okay. all the criminals out there, be careful who you kidnap. Make sure to check IDs very carefully, <laughs> otherwise you could end up behind bars. No, 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 no. Please this is Jack Reacher. They end up dead. I was trying to be nice. You <laughs> might be listening. Let's hear. Um... What's, I'm going to call it the anti-trope, meaning the thing that it's still a trope, but it's something you can never do is a mystery, such as killing a... Cat or dog. You can't <laughs> you can kill a dog you get, in a mystery? No, no you, can, no. you can have a body count that rivals, that rivals your biggest serial killer, but don't you dare harm... You can kill babies. You just really? can't kill Yeah, you just don't I harm a dog. I had no idea that was a thing. I feel mm-hmm. like animals die constantly in media, but in mysteries it's not mm-hmm. uh, it's not smiled upon. So in horror, <laughs> then, you can kill all the dogs you want. Stephen King, why? Is that why they it make hurts. it horror? Is that what pushes Partly. it into horror? Is Apparently. when they start killing innocent animals? Yeah, but it is a major trope. Apparently, I was reading a book, I don't remember who was the writer, but it was a nonfiction book he was writing about mystery, uh-huh. and he said he had one time where he had a cat killed off-screen, mind you. It was just talked about. It didn't show up on screen. He got so many complaints from his readers about that. Yes. I signed up for human homicide. You <laughs> killed this animal, and I am very disappointed in Yeah, you. oh, and you have to be very careful about hurting children in books. I'm it's sure. not an absolute no, but, you, for instance, you can't kill a kid in a cozy. Ah. Well, it, I'm sure it's a lot them, like you can't kill them. I'm sure it's a lot like romance in that there are degrees of heat, quote unquote, when it comes to a mystery. Who is vulnerable? All like a hard boiled, I imagine no one is safe. There. All the way up to spatterpunk. Uh, again, yes, spatterpunk. Mm. Spatterpunk. That is that's, that's blood on every page. Well, that sounds like a Tarantino much. movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Except in the written form. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, um, I was gonna mention that in some of the, the thrillers I've read. There has been, you know, you meet protagonists, but the first person, I guess, you actually see through the eyes of is the murderer. So you kind of follow okay. their journey without knowing who they are as they're about I to kill someone. I think going again. into thrillers yeah. there rather than yeah. mystery. Than how, mystery. How, do you like kind of, of, how do you break it between yeah, mystery like, and it is thriller? Well, there is an overlap. That's one yeah. of the things, that uh, you have a sympathetic view of... This guy who does all kinds. Oh, of sometimes it's not things. even sympathetic. Yeah. It's, it's a way well, it's to keep like, the. You know, the time is counting down. It's like you know who the. It's a who done it, but some of the scenes are from the point of view of the killer. But since it's a book, you don't mm. know who the killer is, yep. or because it's through the right. killer's eyes, but, you know what they're thinking. But, but that makes you like them, presumably, or not identify always. with well, them a bit. The point is that they're putting the reader in the killer's shoes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Whether or not it's supposed to identify with the killer but you're seeing it from their point of view and you're making the killer personal to you because you've read from their point of view. Well, that's only one form of a thriller. You do have your other thrillers out there. You get your spy thrillers. That's not that doesn't fall fall the line between James Bond. James Bond was so stupid though. <laughs> well, in the book in the book in the book I just hear the movie. He had to be brilliant to get out of it. But he 
got in the oh, dumbest yeah. situation. Yes, this it's is the hubris that does that to you. <laughs> to be fair, he is a protagonist in a book. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. It doesn't matter how smart you are. We are going to make you suffer. It's like a protagonist oh, being a protagonist. We probably already like mentioned this, but again, especially with the amateur killers, uh, amateur killers, the amateur detectives, especially in a series, wherever they show up, crime happens. Yep. Final thing I would say about the thrillers, back into that real quick, because we are running out of time, is another version of a thriller is the um, courtroom thriller. That usually you don't see the murderer right off the bat. Um, with that, we like the science fiction one. We could keep going with this story, and who knows? We might be, we might at a later time. We might need a point a part two for this. Yes. <laughs> But with that, um, let me go ahead and do you have any final things being our resident super <laughs> super super I, I, I cross genre for us. The mystery genre. Well, it is my favorite. It is what I write and I think if a book doesn't have some mystery that I don't want to read it. Just mm-hmm. plain don't want to read it. Yeah. And I'm gonna add one thing. Mystery gets picked on a lot with being the where science fiction is more of a futuristic let's Let's be the hopeful kind and mystery. Oh, that's for those who, who can't expand their imagination. I just remind you where the heck uh, Sherlock Holmes crosses both lines, <laughs> as well as other other mysteries. Uh, I was thinking about something um, that Melanie said: romantic elements. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of things, not just they don't only have romantic elements, but they have mystery elements in them too. A lot of stories that aren't necessarily mysteries. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. who is making this thing happen that is very strange that we don't know what's going on? Well, and Fedora mentioned Silas like, Martyr. Yeah. That's not a mystery, but it has mystery in it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wrinkle in time is it. Well, everything and has discovery. There. That's what a, a story is, is discovering a plot. If you want to know more about mysteries, check out um, the Mystery Writers Association. I believe they have got a breakdown on their website, unless they used to. Um or if you want to also check out check out from your local library any books on how to write mysteries, and that will break down some more of the topics of and subgenres of the mystery realm. Oh, and by the way, mysteries are very hard, but not impossible to pants. Mysteries are mostly for plotters, mostly, not completely. <laughs> and of course, you can join Sisters in Crime, mm-hmm. which is all about mystery writing. Mm-hmm. And we have a great chapter right here in St. Louis that I just happen to be the president of. Uh-huh. And so check us out online and come to our meetings. We'd love to have you. And if you're a male who writes mysteries, yes, the Sisters in Crime have their brothers as well. Misters and sisters. We're not sexist. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for listening. Theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her. Right Pack Radio would like to thank STL Books for allowing us to record in their office. STL Books is an online bookstore specializing in new and used high-quality literature, children's books, and books written by or about St. Louis. Please visit them online at www.stlbooks.com or find their store on the Amazon.com website.